to the Hope and Heart Pills podcast, where we are exploring practical insight for racial justice and social change. I'm your host, Andre Henry, singer, songwriter, and author. And for the past several years, you all know who's listened to the show. I've been on a serious intellectual quest to understand how do people work together, ordinary people work together to change the world. And I, you know, some of you have been along for that journey. Shout out to all of my Patreon supporters who helped make the show happen. If you want to be a Patreon supporter, you can find us on patreon.com slash Andre Henry. Music Day is brought to you by me. Dante Stewart is, is joining us today. He's a writer. He's the author of Shouting in the Fire, an American Epistle. And uh, Dante and I are actually signed to the same publisher. We're friends. We've been talking, you know, we've been in contact while we were in the process of writing our books. So, you know, it's an honor and a pleasure to have Dante on the show. We're going to talk about his book. Thanks for joining us. What's up? What's up, Dre? So good to be with you, brother. So good. Yeah, man. It's good to have you. Yeah, man. It's really good to have you on the show. Um, So... Let's talk about it. Tell us about, um, you know, tell us about the book. You know, what what is what is Shouting in the Fire about? Yeah, 100. Well, I mean, Shouting in the Fire is is, is really kind of in, in in praise to uh, in both. It's both a nod to Audre Lorde and James Baldwin. Um, <clears throat> but also it is me kind of doing that nodding as a Christian, as a black Christian. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's it's really at, at a thirty thousand foot level the, the wrestling with the question, uh, what does it mean to be black and American and Christian, and the ways in which, mm-hmm. as many of us know, them those identities intersect uh, in the most yeah. beautiful and terrible ways possible. Mm-hmm. Audre Lorde in her book mm-hmm. Zombie has this uh, this line which I wrote a paper on in class uh, where she says, "I remember I remember what it was like to be black." And young, young and black and gay and lonely. And I thought about mm. when I wrote that paper, I thought about, you know, those experiences are separated with the word and uh, that builds mm-hmm. on those experiences, but separates them as well. So those experiences yeah. are in conversation with one another. They are oftentimes in contradiction mm-hmm. of one another. Uh, they represent a sort of human complexity uh, that we all yeah. know is, is real and, and visceral. Uh, but also each one of those complexities represent a life-giving reality that is not just simply something that's thrown on me, but it's something that's creative. And so for me, I wanted mm-hmm. to do that framework as well as it relates to my book. Uh, you know, I remember what it was like to be young and black and Christian and American and trying to figure out how through like essays, uh, uh, like a memoir through essays, how to wrestle with that. So that's that shout in the fire, both a nod to Baldwin and and and, uh, and, Lo- and Audre Lorde. Man, that there's so much to be said about that, especially uh, knowing that some of that, I don't know Audre Lorde's relationship to to religion and Christianity, but I do know that James Baldwin, you know, at, at reading uh, The Fire Next Time, I know that he writes about, you know, the time that he was a preacher, you know, and that's something I didn't know about Baldwin until I read that book. I didn't know that he had at some time as a preacher. And I remember, bro, and I bet you had a similar experience reading that section of his life and me feeling like I know exactly what he is talking about when he said he wanted to tell people to get off their knees and organize a rent strike. I'm like, that's exactly what I want to do. That's exactly what I want to do. And I know that Baldwin's a huge influence in your work. So um, and I'm assuming Audre Lorde is as well. So how did you come across their work and, you know, how did it how did it impact you? Yeah, yeah, great question, bro. And that and that that line, bro, of the Friday next time is like one of my favorite lines, bro. Like, 
Like that, yes. that drum was just so real, bro. Like in that section, dog, like we were at one point the people. Like, like we mm-hmm. we represent, like our stories represent the complexity of the characters within that narrative. That at yes. one point we were the people who just were like, you know, let's worship God, let's worship Jesus, let's sing our songs, let's pray our prayers, mm-hmm. and whatever is going yes. on in the world out there. You know, we may bring it before the altar, but we won't bring our heart or our bodies to the streets. I wasn't simply just those people, but I was the person who was like, yo, like they're out there not preaching the gospel. Uh, your life, your spiritual life is confined to the church. Like, like I'll never forget bro, when, when, when Mike Brown was murdered. I was living in California during that time when Mike Brown was murdered, uh, living in California. I'll never forget riding in the car. With one of my friends at the time, you know, uh, one of the guys, oh, we're not, I mean, we, we're not friends anymore, you know, since I changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I never forget riding in his car, <laughs> riding in his car and seeing protests uh, in, in, in response to the murder, uh, the brutal murder of Mike, yeah. Mike Brown. And he and we, yeah. we 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 seeing the protest and me saying like they're not preaching the gospel like black people need to be in churches like what they're doing mm-hmm. and, and what was so interesting is that I did not identify with us and research shows right. us when you think about sociological research in young black life and religion and particularly as it relates to white institutions research shows that mm-hmm. the more that we are engaged inside of white Christian communities the okay, more we, we individualize our racial identity. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And the more we wow. individualize our racial identity, the more conservative we become. Not, not just simply in politics, mm. but in our posture toward the public. And so I was wow. like that person, bro. I was... I, I, I was that person, dog. That 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 was like that was like you need to stay inside the church. And then, but then when when Alton Sterling and Philando Castile uh, uh, were murdered, and then Donald Trump happened, uh, and we were living in Georgia mm-hmm, at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Those those deaths really woke me up. But it was also wrestling with those deaths in the midst of being uh, someone who was preaching, teaching, and leading within the white church. Uh, and then um, coming home to my wife once again and her criticizing me for the ways in which I was callous to our death. But then uh, Michaela, my friend who was uh, Enterprise, when I was working at Enterprise, and I was talking about racial mm. reconciliation and all of this. And then she was like, mm. Stu, you don't got a damn thing to offer black people. And then, bro, wow. she says that to me. Yeah, she says that to me. And then I go home and I, I start griping and complaining to my wife. And then Jazz tells me, she says, you, you, you always listening to other people when I've been telling you this the whole time. And so how did I come to James Baldwin and Audre Lorde and those like that? It was through my failure, bro. It was through failing wow. as a black Christian. It was through failing mm. and giving white supremacy justification. It was giving the callousness mm. its protection. But then I came yeah. through it through the power and the creativity and the beauty of black women. Uh, particularly mainly yes. my wife. And then, you know, uh, secondarily through my friend Michaela, but also through my friend Nefertiti, uh, who yes. criticized me and showed me a different way. And then that opened up, you know, Drew Hall giving me, my white brother, yeah. my dude, Drew Hall, giving me Martin Luther uh-huh. King's Where Do We Go From Here? Then King yes. quotes Baldwin in that text. He quotes the fire next time in that text and talks yes. about James Baldwin in that text. And then, you know, that set me on a whole different trajectory. 
of reading black nice. literature and returning to black life and kind of as the boys say leaving the world of the white man behind so yeah that's how i came to that literature i have a question i won't have to come back to but i just want to ask you because well first off you know i relate you've read my book so you know that i relate to what you're saying and i just want to ask you as someone who seems pretty firmly still within the faith how do you hold those things in tension you know um being black and christian you know um yeah young black and christian and also caring for our people in this way because i i know full well when you're in a white institution like these quote-unquote multi-ethnic spaces of white evangelicalism you know the way that they do or the way that they want to have racial conversations is basically just by you know making white people feel comfortable you know letting white people off the hook you know and gaslighting black people and people of color you know so i get that but you know, that's that's not where you're standing, <laughs> you know, but I, I see the way that you tweet and it's it's very much influenced by faith. And that always is challenging for me seeing black people do that, because I've you know, we all know Andre be wrestling with this stuff in public. That's 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 what I'm doing. So I'm always I always respect, you know, I, I respect it. And I'm always curious about people who not that you're not wrestling, but there's a confidence in it that that I read that um yeah. How are you holding those things together? Yeah, bro. I, I mean, you know, one day at a time. That's that's probably the best way. <laughs> yes. You know, that, that's probably the best way to um to to say it because Baldwin has this essay in uh The Cross of Redemption entitled To Crush a Serpent. And Baldwin says that in order for him to preserve, dog, this is and this thing was it, it blessed me this morning as I was reading it. Um, it, he says in order for him to preserve in some sense his faith um, and, and, and not almost destroy the ministry in ways that other people destroyed it inside of the church was he had to leave it. So on the one yeah. hand, Baldwin is living within the tension that there is a sacredness. There is a sacredness within the church that Baldwin does not want to diminish. So Baldwin mm-hmm. would say in the fire next time that there is quite like no ethos of those tyrant souls declaring the goodness of the Lord. So on the one hand, mm-hmm. there's the tension what he recognizes, he sees that bound to these stories, bound to these bodies, bound to these imaginations is what people would call <clears throat> divine revelation. That revelation, there is something of divinity bound to their lives and their stories and their tired souls and their Mm -hmm. wounded spirits. There is something to be recognized Mm -hmm. and to be revealed in this space as faith. But also Baldwin would say that people, he thought, uh, ought to love the Lord because they loved them, not because they were afraid to go to hell. And so Baldwin would say that, that on the one hand, there is a sacredness within the church and within the, within Christianity, but there's also within faith, this reality of being suspect. There are things that are sacred, but there are also things that are suspect that needs to be dismantled. Mm -hmm. So then Baldwin would further go on to say in the fire next time. And he would give inside of the fire next time, 
this kind of uh, it's almost as if Baldwin is becoming a seminary teacher uh, in church history and giving a, 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 a lecture on church history to talk about the ways in which Christianity and colonization and Christianity and, and, and homophobia and all these things, you know, are, and sexism and, and, and bigotry and arrogance are all tied together, not just simply as a way people talk about their faith, but in some sense, very fundamentally tied to how they think about their faith. So then Baldwin would say, if the concept of God has any validity, then it must make us bigger, larger. And if God cannot do this, then, you know, it's time to get rid of it. And so for me, how I hold that tension is much like what I see in Baldwin is I want to critique and deconstruct the worst of our tradition. But much like Baldwin, I want to embody through word and through voice and through thinking and through metaphors. I want to embody the best of our tradition. You know, one of the many misconceptions of James Baldwin is that when Baldwin left the church, Baldwin left faith behind. That's just not the case. You know, we, we can see in his literature, you know, the amen corner just above my head. Go tell it on the mountain. Uh, the price of the ticket. The devil finds work. I mean, religion, theology is woven within how Baldwin thinks about himself and think about the world. And, but Baldwin would say that much of the ways in which people practice their faith in their religion is not rooted in love and liberation, but oftentimes is rooted in insecurity, fear, power, and control. So how do I hold yeah. that intention? I try, I try to do what Baldwin does. I want to lean on what I learn out of this faith, declare the revelation, the sacredness that is outside, that comes from our lives, that comes from black literature, that comes from us, the embodiment, the sacred embodiment that we find within our lives. But also I want to critique it and say we need to imagine better that we need to take on better voices, that we need to take on, as Charles Mills would say, alternative epistemologies and alternative theologies so that we can be, as uh, Jesus say, not those who steal, kill, and destroy, but those whose theologies, whose traditions, whose understanding allow people to experience life and life to the fullest capacity. And that means that we're going to have to get rid of some stuff as well as hold mm-hmm. to some stuff as well. Yeah. So that's kind of how I walk out that tension. And I really do appreciate that, you know, and it's very interesting because I think, I think even as late as 2020, if I remember correctly, you know, there's still a lot of people in America that identify as Christian. And, and I think the proportion increases when you talk about, you know, when you, talk about within the black community, you know, how many people do identify as Christian. And there is this whole question, you know, about, you know, how can we embrace that faith as something positive when it has been so weaponized against us? You know, I I do appreciate people like you that show that there's not just one story, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's not just one story of how faith, religion, um, even Christian faith, has been in relationship with Black people. So how's that showing up in the book? Is is this more memoir? Is it completely memoir? What's, what's, the, what's, what's the journey feel like? Yeah, the journey is very memoir. It is definitely memoir. So I would say that my book is memoir through essays. 
it has the component of essays and, and things like that, where you're talking about the kind of argument woven within the piece. When you're talking about the mm-hmm. ways in which essays build on various moments that, that kind of crystallize moments and turn moments over in our minds. The essay mm-hmm. and the way that the essay kind of, you know, in some sense converses with other voices and brings out other voices and 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 wrestles as as your book does very astutely. It wrestles with theories and concepts and and, and voices and things like that to 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 kind of help mm-hmm. illuminate uh, uh, yeah. and interpret the moments that we uh, are in right now. But then, you know, my book is also a memoir in that it it is situated in various moments in my life where you kind of get in in my life and. And you see the world that's built and you see the narrative and the plot and the structure uh, and the detail mm-hmm. and things like that. So, you know, the book definitely is memoir. It's definitely memoir. Um, but it's also like very kind of trying to creatively con- construct a memoir, not just simply, you know, in, in a kind of triumphal way. But it's like, you know, it's, you know, I ain't the hero. You know, I'm just the one who tells the mm-hmm. story and I want people to be invited in the complexity, you know, and the honesty of my story, yeah. much like uh, T.S.A. Lehman's Heavy or Jasmine Ward's Memory Reap, or even, you know, I'm thinking about Sarah Broom's The Yellow House and, and the ways in which they mm-hmm. write black stories and black worlds within their literature. You know, I was trying to do that as well, but also I, I was kind of, you know, trying to weave an argument about the beauty and the creativity of black life underneath uh, my text. Mm, what is that argument? Man, June Jordan, bro. Hey, June Jordan, I am black alive and looking back at you. You know, that's that's the argument, bro. Is that like that oftentimes, you know, black folk in our society, on the one hand, you know, many people triumphalize us. And and that's kind of what I yeah. that that's kind of what I don't like in kind of evangelical spaces that when people start talking about black folk in evangelical spaces, they be like, you know, black black people always did this. The black church always mm. did this. When in reality, right. you know, if you're black and male, then maybe that's true for you. But if you're black and gay, uh, if you're black and trans, right. if you're black and poor, uh, if you're black right. and you're a black woman, oftentimes the black church space has not been a space for you where you can experience freedom. Uh, but oftentimes exactly. you, you experience people's failures. So on the one hand, people triumphalize black life. But then on the other hand, people exceptionalize us in those spaces where it's just mm-hmm. like, you know, you get this black story as if it does not hold multitudes or complexity. Mm-hmm. And so the argument mm-hmm. woven within my book is that beyond the way people exceptionalize us and beyond the way people triumphalize us, you know, there's a deeper story to tell that, you know, we are not heroes. We are not villains, but we are humans as beautiful as yes. we are terrible. And we deserve yes. the most wonderful, lavish, lush, unafraid love possible. That's what we deserve. Yes, yes. That's the story that must yeah. be told is the ways that we Absolutely. make life and create worlds, even even when the world tells us we're, we're less than. So, yeah. How, how did it feel to hear earlier on in life, you know, other black people saying to you, you don't have anything to offer to black people right now. No, nah, bro. Hey, bro, I was angry, bro. I, I mean, I ain't, I ain't gonna flex, bro. I, mean, I was pissed, you know. You know, I was, I, I was, I was, <laughs> I was pissed because you know nobody wants to be told that, you know, especially, especially yeah, when you're black and white spaces, and and everything in that space tells you you are exceptionally black. 
everything mm-hmm. in that space tells you you are exceptionally black. And yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. And then you get around black folk, which you know, for me, you know, in that space. You know, it wasn't that many black people. We always said, you know, black people on a monolith and, and we declare that in that space. But in reality, all of us, most of us were the same. We we like the same things. We we believe the same ways. We performed our faith the same ways. And it wasn't until, you know, I went in an enterprise, rent a car and, and really was around black folk, you know, that I started to realize the ways in which people exceptionalize us and, and things like that. And so I was pissed because I'm like, dang, I'm black. I'm black. I'm this. I'm that. But then it, it took me being around other black people to realize that the type of blackness that I believed and embodied was actually a blackness that devalued us and in some sense distanced itself from us and mm-hmm. and, and in some yeah. sense performed for the praise and the celebration and the protection of white people. So when Michaela told me yeah. that you ain't got nothing to offer black people, I wanted to fight. I wanted to curse. I wanted to fight verbally. You know, yeah, verbally. I wanted to fight verbally and argue her down. Like, you know, yeah, I'm black. I'm this. I'm that, and this and that. You know, but it it took that to, for me to realize the kind of limitations of the ways I understood blackness, and you know, the ways I understood blackness in that moment was conservative type of blackness, like you know, like. Like with uh, Thomas Sowell and you know black uh, conservative Christians um, in in these moments yeah. and, and the ways in which you know Tanahasi I I think he does a really good job of this and we were eight years in power uh, talking about blackness uh, uh, that the argument mm-hmm. woven within that the ways he wrestled with blackness and the way blackness shows up in the world um, I think he does a good job of talking about that complexity and so many other people do, do this well it's just been on my yeah, mind yeah. as I was talking about it the other day. Um, and, and we were eight years in power, and, and so yeah, that 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 was my initial reaction was anger, um, and it and really really bro, like it, it was almost going through uh, Elizabeth Kubler Ross stages of grief. That on on, on, mm-hmm. on one hand it was denial, um, yeah. then, then it then was anger, anger. <laughs> yeah, then, 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 then it was uh, bargaining. You know, bargaining, mm-hmm. uh, uh, mm-hmm. particularly with white folk, and and bargaining with black yeah. folk to be like, yeah, I'm re- I'm actually black, and then it was depression, um, or, yeah. or, or, or whatnot like that. Like, really, I'm I'm not that person that I thought I was. But then it was acceptance, and when I accepted that what my wife and what Michaela and what others were saying were true, then began my evolution and my change. So yeah, yeah, no, I mean that it's it's such a it's a profound statement to make to someone, but I mean, sometimes we needed to hear that. And I mean, obviously there's been evolution on your part. I mean, I see some very, I see some, I see some very respected black voices that have been praising your book, you know? Um, and that's wonderful to see, you know, that's really, that's really awesome to see. So many of our stories overlap and yes. it's like you too, like it happened to you yeah. too. It happened to you. And and but then also it was also celebration to say, like, you found your way. And I think mm-hmm. like, you know, that is the thing that's so deeply impactful about your book and so meaningful is that your book is not just centered on like what what white folk or other folk have done to you. But like 
I mean, it's like it's it's a pathway to liberation. The book is a movement in and of itself, both a movement away from, you know, the ways in which white supremacy and anti-blackness shape and shift us. But also it is a movement toward a vision of a future. Uh, I'm thinking of this book, Black Futures, right now by Kimberly Drew and Jenna mm. Walker. Like it is an experiment of this type of black world making and black dreaming that I think so many of us need. So as I'm going through and have gone through and by the complete today, your book is like this tapestry of grieving and goodness. Like it's this tapestry tapestry yeah. of being, you know, being black and and, and 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 struggling, but also being black and set free. And like, that's probably, you know, when I, when, as I'm going through it, bro, I ain't want to give too much away, you know, cause you know, we yeah. want people to read that joint, you know, but I do, yeah. I do grieve, but I'm also grateful you know, that that you and I and so many others, even though like this is what other people did at us, this is how they devalued us, this is how they made us feel. We found the way to go back to ourselves, to go back to the places that we found sacred and to realize yeah. that the seeds over decades, over centuries yeah. were planted in us from the ancestors. And it was up to us and to others to water that seed and become the garden that they can grow in. And for me, yeah. I think that this is a garden, you know, in search, as Alice Walker wrote, in search of our mother's gardens, you know, this mm. is so similar to that feel of going to yeah. the garden, taking out the fruit and enjoying the fruits of our labors. I appreciate it, man. Like, you know, when you talked about grief of your own, like that is what I definitely I was realizing as you were saying it. So initially I was going to structure my book around the stages of grief. But it just didn't work. But when you spoke about that in your own life, it, yeah, when you spoke about it in your own life, it just brought it back to me about, you know, I don't think people understand like the moments, you know, there were moments with the people that I write about in my book where I literally, I would like be lying on the floor in my apartment weeping over the fact that, you know, we were not going to be able to maintain relationship anymore. Um. So, I mean, it's real, man. It's so real. But uh, what I want to ask you about now, and I, I think I just got a couple more questions for you, but I do want to ask you, you know, as I hear your story, I, I already knew that we have similar stories, but I think that it's just coming back to me that there are many Black people who have a so story like this, who, you know, maybe you were in a multi-ethnic religious space, maybe you were in a white Christian space or a predominantly white space in some way, and maybe in some ways, internalized some of the the empire's common sense in a way that you know kept us away from deep community with our own people or in deep involvement in our efforts for our liberation or whatnot do you ever feel like even for those of us who are waking up are leaving those spaces that there's kind of this third space where we exist as not really being deeply embedded in Black community, having some trouble entering that space, um, but knowing that you don't belong, you know, where you were. I don't know if you feel that or if you've seen that. How do you see that? Yeah, if I'm hearing you correctly, particularly people who say like they they were in, maybe they, they grew up in Black spaces, they went to white space, left white space, not really feeling like going back to black space because maybe what they experienced, they're trying to find a new space. Am I hearing you that correctly? I don't know if necessarily they're trying to, but 
here's basically what I see sometimes. Well, first off, we all know blackness is not a monolith, right? So you wake up in multi-ethnic evangelical world and realize, oh, wait, this place is anti-black, you know? You know, trying to connect with your people is not going to just be like this experience where everybody has had the same experience. Everybody views things the same way and you're just going to be embraced, you know. So sometimes I look at some visions of black liberation, some articulations of what blackness means. And I almost feel a pressure to perform for those black people to say I'm really not down with the colonizer. You know, I'm one of us. You know, I almost said I'm one of we because I've been speaking Pato so much. I'm one of we. Yeah, I think you get what I'm saying. You know, like there are different perspectives on what Blackness means or what Black liberation means. And I think coming out of that space, you know, sometimes, sometimes it can feel like, okay, well, I have to adopt, you know, this particular version of Blackness or Black liberation to really count. And if I don't, then I'm going to get the side eye. And then we monolithize ourselves again, thinking, oh, well, Black people aren't going to accept me as though all Black people are the same. You feel what I'm talking about? No, I feel that 100. And I would suggest one of the books, man, I love. Okay, so let me just say, I absolutely love the 70s. Um, You know, if there was any moment in time that I can go back to and live in, I would love to live in the seventies. Um, I know people be like, you know, there if, if there's a time I can go back to, I'll live right now. But like legit, I would go back to the seventies. <laughs> One of the things that was so dope about the seventies, particularly, you know, and this is kind of very woven into my thesis research um, on, on on Baldwin and, and and kind of research I'm doing right now on Bambara, um, is 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 thinking through the Black Arts Movement, um, and I am kind yes. of doing. The kind of creative wrestling I'm doing intellectually is like I'm trying to mess with 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 the black arts movement and religion and theology and aesthetics and embodiment. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I found looking mm-hmm. at the black arts movement is that the dope part about it was, number one, the tough part was they were trying to fill the vacuum out of murder. You know, many of many of the, the <clears throat> leaders, quote unquote, leaders, public those black people in public were were murdered um, and or black yes. institutions were systematically dismantled through government. Uh, um, yes. uh, let's just call it what it is. Government conquest uh, 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 and surveillance, mm. and, and, and et cetera, uh, through this kind of increasing surveillance and technology, the ways in which black institutions and black activists, et cetera, were, were systematically dismantled. Well, one of the things I love about the the Black Arts Movement, and this is a book by uh, Margot Natalie Crawford entitled Black Post-Blackness, the Mm. Black Arts Movement and the 21st Century Aesthetics. Um, But then also another book entitled Spirit in the Dark, A Religious History of Racial Aesthetics by uh, Yosef Surrett. Two great books, Mm. two great books on the Black Arts Movement. And this idea of Black liberation in that moment was always being expanded. You know, one, mm. one of the challenges during that moment, this idea of black liberation was was black liberation for black men. Um, it didn't expand ideas and voices mm-hmm. of liberation beyond black cis head men. Um, and so what Tony K. Bambara yes. would do in in her joint um, is back here, right here. You can't really see it, but 
um, it's, it's called the Black Woman in Anthology. So what Tony K. Bombard did um, in, in in almost like in, in expansion and in resistance to uh, uh, Leroy Neal's uh, Black Fire uh, and the Black Aesthetic, where they talked about the Black Arts Movement as, as, as simply really, from the anthology, they just really was like, yo, like black men were the only one to listen to. So then black uh black woman black woman came out uh and, and and expanded this idea of who matters and who count. And I think we need to kind of go back to learn from the from the black arts movement. I know people like to talk about yeah. the civil rights movement and, and I love the civil rights movement, yeah. but I do think when we talk about creatives and how we creatively kind of integrate uh, the political and the spiritual and the artistic and the aesthetic, we need to go back to the Black mm-hmm. Arts Movement and hold both of those movements' attention to broaden yeah. who matters and and things like that and and what what type of things are we leaning on as it relates to our understanding of what are the tools for our liberation, what are the perspectives, and so yeah, I go back to the Black Arts Movement. I think you know right now. You know, we have to find our way. All of us got to find our way. Yeah. We got to find our lane, you know, but we got to try and travel in the, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, same direction. Um, and I and yeah. I was listening yeah. to um, my, my boy, Reginald Sharp. Uh, uh, if any, mm-hmm. if people love preachers, they need to listen to, to Pastor Reverend, uh, get his doctor <laughs> right now, Reverend, <laughs> Reverend in the name of Jesus, Dr. Sharp, uh, out of Chicago <laughs> at Fellowship, at, at the ship. Um, he he was doing his. They, they were doing his inauguration. Uh, you know his 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 is. Um, you know he took over this historic black church and and I think it was uh, Reverend Dr. E. Dewey Smith. He was preaching his um, ordin uh, his installation service and E. Dewey Smith talked about filling the shoes of Reverend Dr. Clay Evans, civil rights leader, incredible, brilliant, brilliant mind. And he said that you can't feel his shoes. You know he was telling mm. Reggie. You can't feel his shoes, but what you can do is point them in the same direction. And I think right. that as we learn from these movements of the past and try and broaden our understanding of our liberation, our collective humanity, we need to realize we can't feel their shoes, but we can learn from them and point them in the same direction. And when we put them on, we travel in the same way. And I think we need that right now as it relates to our understanding of our liberation, our humanity. We can't feel them shoes, but we can put them in the same direction. And it's up to you. It's up to me. It's up to us to put our feet in them shoes and get to walking. Yeah. What keeps you showing up, man? What keeps you going? Man, everybody, all of us, you know, everybody. <laughs> everybody. No, really. <laughs> Yeah, really, really, bro. It just, you know, I, I feel, I feel called to this work, bro. And and and, you know, uh, I feel like, like, like for me to show up, bro, means that I still care. I love it. You know, it's a part of my life. It's it's my family. It's you. It's it's Candace. It's Cole. It's us. It's all of us. It's it's Jason and Kiese and Imani and Maurice and Mateo and Disha and Robert. Uh, and Jasmine, it's all them. It's Barwin, it's Bombara, it's, it's Morrison, it's Walker, it's Gnela, uh, it's, it's, it's all of them. It's Moten, it's, it's uh, doggone yeah. Kevin Kwashi, it's Emily Town, it's Cone. It's all these names, all these brilliant people that keep me grounded and showing up 
because it really it, mm. it, it continues to tell me that I come from somewhere. I'm rooted in the people and the tradition, and this is what mm. we do. And that mantle, yeah. that fire has been passed to me, and that's what I need to do. I need to, as Jason say, pray at the altar of creativity every day, realizing that at the end of it, there is something waiting on me. And for me, I want to pray at the altar of my family. I want to pray at the altar of my friends. I want to pray at the altar of black life. I want to pray at the altar of what we imagine for ourselves, because I know at the end of that journey, at the end of the journey of prayer, there's something waiting for all of us. Yeah. Well, Dante, it's been great having you on the show. Thanks so much for uh, your time and for your, your insight and sharing with us. Again, everyone, the name of the book is Shouting in the Fire, an American Epistle. It is available everywhere books are sold. So make sure that you go get one. Um, and yo, uh, we hope to talk to you again soon. Hey, no doubt, bro, man. It's been incredible, bro. It's been incredible. Thank you so much for listening today. If you like what you heard and you haven't already, please subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. Also, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts helps us get into more ears and minds. You can find all the links in the show notes for today's guest, as well as Andre's newsletter, Patreon, and book. You can connect with Andre on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TheAndreHenry. That's all for this episode of the Hope and Hard Pills podcast. We'll see you next time.